This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, the business station? BFM 89.9 is 9.36, Friday the 4th of August and you're listening to The Morning Run with Philip C. Mark Tan and I'm Wong Xiaoning. As usual, at this time of the day, on a Friday, it is... WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show of top stories this week or other news tidbits you might have missed. Uh, we do this because everybody should go into the weekend feeling informed, at least when they meet friends and family or have to do their version, the family version of Water Cooler yeah. Talk. You have something to say. And not sound like idiots, although many accuse me of sounding like one. <laughs> okay, speak for yourself. Speak for yourself, okay? Uh, but let's talk about Politics, politics, politics. For a change, we're going to start with Malaysia. And I think we have to do a bit of a review of the just concluded debate that, you know, we you know ended like 15 minutes ago. Uh, we had all the candidates for Kota Damansara in the studio giving us their views on how they can improve that constituency. You were the moderator. You kept three gentlemen in check. Give us your quick recap, Philip. Was it interesting? Is it, this is the way forward for Malaysia, isn't it, in terms of yes. having that political discussion? It is. And it was a very interesting debate. I mean, I think for me, when you look and listen to the three candidates, you you see Party Socialists in Malaysia, I think, try to be a bit of the outlier, but I think really had very thoughtful responses in many of the elements there. And sometimes for me personally, I sometimes struggled to distinguish between what was being promised at the Perikata National and the Pakatan Harapan site, you know. Mm. Um, but of course, they are very they are very distinctive differences, but sometimes they did come across as a bit subtle, right? Okay, but I think what we are trying to do here is to help you voters out there yeah. make a decision come twelfth of August, and also to encourage just voter turnout. The worry here is that people think it doesn't really matter. The state elections don't really count. Guess what? If you are not happy with the garbage, with the potholes, with, with the traffic, with the traffic, you think your neighbourhood could look so much better, your state could be so much better run, then go out and vote. Oh, it most certainly makes a big difference. I mean, we just had a huge deba- debate about traffic, but if you think about it, it really is about how you structure development in, this, in your location. And really, your state reps have a big say about that. And so I think we should all go to vote it's such a critical part mm. and we have one more week left for us to discern understand what all the candidates pledge and commit to do yeah move away from personality politics to maybe mm. policy driven politics yeah and even with that question on the traffic jams in Kota Damansara I felt that the three candidates were able to in a way differentiate themselves based on the answers like you know like PSM Sivarajan yes, Arabagam he talked about town planning development bus lanes Izon was talking more in terms of the budget perspective you know needing feeder buses for MRT of course Raslan Jaladu was talking about the fact that there's still a lack of public transport but people prefer to still use their cars. So very distinct answers from those three candidates. I think if you're a voter out there it should be quite clear based on your own value system who you would go for. I think I think that's a very Value of who can deliver the promises. Yeah. For me, talk is cheap. <laughs> Delivery is everything. Yes, there was a lot of conversation about the ability to deliver. There was actually, you made a very interesting part about Mark where they tried to distinguish themselves, Pagadan National and Pagadan Harapan where Pagadan Harapan said, look, I have been able to manage the economy. Of course, the counter response was yes but where has been the fruits of the labour right how have you translated the benefits to the 
yet fundamentally. So I think that was a very interesting take about the discipline, mm. the ability to have fiscal management versus the ability to disperse. And that's a challenge we have at a federal level as well. Yes. So what's going to be exciting is over this weekend, you will find that there are many charamas going on, there are many walkabouts. And I think that's part of the political process, right? Mm. Uh, although I, before the debate happened, I did get a chance to talk to each of the parties and they say that how you campaign has changed so much. A lot of it is social media. Mm. Um, you know, it's important to get get out there in Instagram, TikTok, threads, Twitter, whatever. You want the visibility. But for those who are deciding to go out there to watch the campaigns, please remember, and I think this is our PSA also, uh, that they are, you know, you're encouraged to still observe precautionary measures because there seems to be an, a rise in influenza cases. So please wear your face mask, exercise social distancing, distancing and keep keep your hands clean because our health minister, Dr. Zaleha Mustafa, said that influenza is a contagious disease. And, you know, as a result of this, even the Malaysian Association of Private Hospitals confirmed the report that many hospitals are reaching their capacity, causing delays in admission. And um, the bed capacity is due to many factors, but one of it is influenza. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be fair, I, I know friends who've actually caught it, right? So I am also a bit nervous. Our intern? Our intern and even, you know, colleagues and friends all have had it. So I think it is a very contagious disease. So you really have to mask up. And perhaps that's why also you... you but that hasn't really affected movement and mobility. No. Yeah, people still are going around doing... Their, their, daily, their lives. daily lives. I think those days are over. Nobody's going to be staying at home and, you yeah. know, throw away the key. That's not what the government is encouraging. But just basically practice basic hygiene. Uh, you know, this even our Defence Minister, Datuk Sri Muhammad Hassan, who is also AMNO Deputy President, he's down with influenza and he apologised on social media. He did a video that, you know, with a patch on his head. He's sorry he couldn't come out and campaign. He's down with fever. So just be careful and be mindful of your surroundings. But in the meantime... There are other elections also going on because the Election Commission, and maybe some people would have missed this news, September 9 has been uh, set as the polling date for the by-elections in the parliamentary seat of Pulai as well as the state seat of Simpang Jaram, both which are in Johor. These seats were vacated following the untimely death of incumbent Datuk Sri Salahuddin Ayub uh, nearly three weeks ago. Of course, he's well known to be the gentleman of politics. Yes, I mean, I think he's very well known for his Payung Rama initiative, right? Uh, and perhaps peer-heading the efforts of the Pakatan Harapan government in addressing cost of living issues. If you recall early this year, really cost of living really dominated all our headlines. Of course, it's still a big issue here. And I think he was one of those ministers that I think spearheaded and tried to find and develop new initiatives to address the B40 and the hardcore poor. And, you know, I think there's a legacy. He was well-liked and he was known to be the gentleman in politics, known for his gentleness, humility and amiability to everyone, even rivals, which I think is something rare that we see today's. It, it's a very interesting point because I actually interviewed uh, Liu Chintong, uh, Deputy Trade Minister, last week, and he also had very fond memories of Datuk Sri Salahuddin, right? I think, he, as you say, really, truly a gentleman. And for me, the interesting thing is I really contrast him with his generation of politicians who perhaps many would say were are not so who are pretty ungentlemanly. And the aspiration and hope is that the next generation follow in the footsteps of Datuk Sri Salahuddin. And that's why it's very important for you voters to go out there and make sure that the people that you vote can deliver. And it's also a gentlemen. I just wonder who are the next candidates, right? I mean, who are they going to uh, take mm. over that, the, the very big shoes that uh, 
of course, that have been left behind uh, by Datu Sri Salahuddin. So who's going to take mm. over the Amana seat there? Yes. Or campaign on behalf of Amana? Correct. I think it's very interesting, Johor especially, because Johor is also the bastion of Amno. How much can Perikadan National make gains there? Mm. I think it's a very, very interesting space, right? You contrast with perhaps Kelantan, Trengano, and even to a certain extent, Kedah. It's a much more clearer picture, but Johor, I think, is a really important litmus test for Amno particularly right in whether or not they can actually show up votes and go out there to support an Amana candidate. Yeah, but um, just a reminder, for next week, we are continuing our debates and we have one lined up on Tuesday at 8.30am after the breakfast grill. In the hot seats will be the uh, potential aduns for gassing and two of the candidates have confirmed, only two, there are three, but there are only two have turned up, uh, VKK Raja and Nalan Danabalan, they have agreed to do, to come in for the debate. Uh, unfortunately, one of them, Rajiv uh, Rishikaran, has said... No. No. Well, no No. as at this moment. The, the invitation, of it's course, always is always open. always open because we want to have a robust conversation. Yes. It's very interesting because I live in that constituency. So I would have... I'm t- going to tune in to that debate for sure. Send me your questions. I'll send you all my questions. And for me, you know, there was a very interesting question about public transport. It's the same issue afflicted as well in Bukit Gasing. And I know Rajiv, as an incumbent, had this kumpul bus system. Mm. But did it move the needle? Did it make a difference in public transport? It's did he also, deliver his promises? Did he deliver? No, he delivered, but did it deliver the outcomes though? Ah, okay. But we're heading into some messages. We'll come back with a look at the political recaps of uh, this week at the inter- International space. Keep it here on BFM 89.9. 9.47, Friday the 4th of August and you're listening to The Morning Run. Now, you're of course listening to also WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show. Earlier on, we talked about local politics. Actually, it was just all about local politics because that's really just dominating our headlines. But let's talk about what's happening around the world. And I'm going to ask you the question, do you think the world is boiling? And I'm here, I mean literally boiling. It's getting hot, if that's what you're saying. Uh, It is being felt across the world. I mean, you've seen the heat waves and the wildfires all across Europe. I mean, it's shocking, right, the developments there, as well as in the United States. Right, you're talking about the United States. Let's look at the Canadian wildfire, which I think has been going on for weeks. You know, it plummeted the whole New York state with haze. Now, what's been reported is 13 million hectares, now larger than the size of Portugal and South Korea, has been burnt out. And this will obviously, in future, have impact on agricultural harvesting. And of course, not, not even talking about the carbon emissions that all these wildfires are breaking up in. Mm. I think this is going to be the very, this should be a central conversation as we head to COP28, which will be taking place in Dubai, I believe, in September, Mm. whether or not there will be really any concrete actions there. And this COP28 is a particularly important one because it's a stock take, right, of where we are so far in our progress in reducing emissions. So I hope the reflections in the past and the experiences that citizens all around the world have had will really force policymakers to think very deeply about the right actions they need to take. Right. And yesterday, the president of Italy, Greece, Croatia, Slovenia, Malta and Portugal have actually come out to make a statement to demand urgent moves to tackle the climate crisis after scorching wildfires in their own countries. So we've seen, you know, wildfires in Southern Europe, you know, decimating the tourist industry and the agricultural harvest. So the Greek tourist islands of Kofu, Avia, Rhodes, Italy is headed with Sicily, Sardinia and Calabria. Croatia, King's Landing, Dubrovnik has also not yeah. been spared. And of course, you know, the capital city of Lisbon in Portugal. So it's no wonder this... Uh, Politicians, the presidents are coming to say we need sterner action and like you say, Phil, maybe COP28 can start the difference. My only concern is that whether it's just all going to be talk. 
Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, I, it, I think there's no government out there today that's going to deny climate change. I, I can't. I mean, there are still individuals who do, even even some scientists who do. Uh, but beyond that, because the the requirements for change uh, are painful and expensive, mm. they're not always cheap, right? Of course, they start with us, us as citizens. What can we do? But governments also have to spend money in the right way, in the right direction. And at the moment, right, it's just that we we are so in love with fossil fuel. We're so in love with the, our current lifestyles and. Even governments don't want to disrupt that. They don't want to change that. So what's the right way forward then? I mean, this is a very interesting point. If you reflect over uh, this overnight, right, Greenpeace activists actually did uh, put black fabric over Rishi Sunak's mansion because, you know, he, of course, needs to think about energy security because early on we had this conversation about inflation is really not going anywhere in the United Kingdom. And so really oil exploration is something that I think the UK cannot avoid. I think mm. this is where the real tension is. The only hope which you make a reference to, I think, is that the political divide is actually crumbling a bit. You're seeing people on the right actually recognise it's also important to address climate change, but perhaps they have very different solutions to how you do it. Perhaps carbon markets, carbon solutions, carbon trading options are the better mm. way to attract that. But I have a bit more hope that I think you're seeing a lesser political divide, but the only issue is that there are very different solutions from right. different parts of the political side. But then if you can't agree on the solutions, then does it mean stalemate though? Then yeah. there's paralysis, right? That's the issue. <laughs> So I think so. Sometimes people, you know, you look at the numbers. You think, okay, the hottest July ever in records that have going back as far as 174 years or something like that. I think that's that's what the U.S. Meteorological Society is saying. But what about the day to day for all of us? You know, mm. so I, I, you know, one story I think where caught my eye was what's happening in Iran. It's in a country usually we ignore. We know that there are many sanctions against it. Um, they have their own nuclear weapons program, which of course the U.S. is dead set against. But because they've had sanctions, actually, if in anything, the, the impact of climate change and the extreme weather patterns is even more devastating for them. Because in the last few years, because of their economy, they haven't really been spending any money in terms of changing the economic model that mm. they live in or looking at, you know, kind of solutions to reduce the impact of climate change. And so what's happened is that the weather is so hot, and I'm talking like 49 degrees Celsius, that the government has decided to just grant everybody a two-day holiday so that everyone can just stay at home. Yeah, so it has an impact on economic output. You make a very valid point here that, you know, underdeveloped countries, emerging economies are really actually bearing the brunt of it. Case, in example, is Pakistan. Yeah, and you don't, right? you're not even a big carbon uh, producer. In yes, the, in the process. And the two largest are US and China. That's right. So that's why there's so much discussion about loss and damage. What are you going to do to compensate these emerging countries, emerging markets, right, developing countries, when they are actually bearing most of the brunt here. I mean, Pakistan was an example mm. last year, right? Nearly a large portion of the country was inundated with floods. Yes, and all their crops were de uh, destroyed. They're destroyed in the process. So it is a very it does require global action mm. to address this. And, and it's very hard to just isolate it and say, oh, this specific jurisdiction has to come in. That's why COP28 is so vital, right? Because you just need everybody to work together to address a challenge and actually help each other also in the process. What happened to that fund that they said they were going to start and help each other with? Uh, yes, correct. I remember that. I'm all about the money. So what happened to the money? <laughs> was there any money? I think there was a huge debate about the allocation was not enough. Then they agreed to raise the allocation. But again, where has been the disbursement? Yeah. Where, did anybody come up with the money and has it been dispersed? We'll try and find out. I think that's an interesting story. Mm. Um, let's turn to another country probably 
a lot of us never heard of till very recently and I had to be taught how to pronounce the name. I, I do apologize for that. It's Niger. Because on uh, July 26, soldiers actually detained their president at his home in the capital and they declared they had seized power and it's basically a coup. Mm. A coup had happened. Right, so the defence chiefs from ECOWAS have been meeting in the Nigerian capital, Abuja, to discuss the situation in Niger. Now, ECOWAS stands for the Economic Community of West African States, and some of them have threatened to use force if the military do not reinstate President Bazoum, giving them a one-way ultimatum. Now, unfortunately, even within ECOWAS, they are not united because Bukhani, Faso and Mali have sided with Niger and saying that any military actions against Niger, they will consider a declaration of war. Now, Niger's coup was the seventh military takeover in less than three years in this particular region. I mean, the question here is why is this particular coup so important, important right? Yeah. And it's a really it's a function that it's actually one of those Western-aligned uh, democracies in Africa, which is surrounded by military juntas. I mean, that's the the crux of the matter. And you know, when you think about it linked to the global geopolitical stage, I mean, you have uh, Wagner placing troops all across Africa per se. There were people waving Russian flags in Niger after the coup, right? Exactly. So it is a global issue and perhaps that's why the West are so worried about this uh, insurrection and coup because it's really one of those few shining models of democracy. Hopefully will be reinstated. (laughs) You get my tenses right there. Yes. So unfortunately, that's why it does matter because uh, since 2023 of Niger's neighbours, Mali, Burkina Faso and Guinea, which you mentioned, Mark, of course, they don't want, you know, they, they're like, because they are military dictatorships, have experienced five coups themselves. So we'll be following all this news. But if you want respite from politics, business, there are some spectacular football matches matches happening at the Women's World Cup, which we don't talk enough about. So on the 5th of August, you've got Switzerland versus Spain, Japan versus Norway. And of course, watch out for all the interesting knockout stages. Now, that's all the news we have for you from the morning run. Uh, coming up next is the 10 a.m. news bulletin. And then it's over to Enterprise, wishing everybody a very productive weekend. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.